Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing Word from God. God bless you. Greetings, Awaken Church. Greetings from New Zealand. Pastor Jürgen and Leanne and all the wonderful people in Awaken Church. What a great honor it is to be with you and share with you. I'd love to be there physically, but it's just not possible at this stage. Seems to be some problems at the border. Anyway, I've been invited to share some things uh, with you today. And I encourage you to open your heart to, uh, to let God speak into your life and uh, just shift your thinking today. I want to share a message called Awake and Engage. Awake and engage. In Isaiah 52 verse 1, the prophet speaks to a nation going through turmoil and upheaval and speaks to the church, speaks to the people of God, awake, awake, wake up, wake up out of spiritual inactivity, wake up out of slumber. And it says, put on your strength, O Zion. In other words, arise and begin to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. And if ever there was a need today, it's right now for the church to awake and to put on its strength. Now, Pastor Eugen's asked me to cover quite a range of things, so I've had to think through where and how to cover it, and I feel that uh, I want to give you a big picture, then we'll get down to the, the, some practical things to do. So let's just look at the big picture first. I want to get you to think from the realm of the Spirit what's going on in the earth. And uh, the Bible describes very much a conflict of kingdoms is taking place in the atmosphere around us and manifesting in the earth around us. And uh, so change is happening <clears throat> at a very increasing pace in the world. It's rapid. It's so rapid. It's hard to keep up with all the changes. It's very easy to be overwhelmed by the changes. And believers need a biblical worldview in order to be able to be focused and stay in faith. Otherwise, you can be overwhelmed very quickly. A worldview is a set of beliefs. It's assumptions you have and expectations about the world. So God wants us to have a biblical framework, a framework of looking at life and looking at world events, what's happening through the revelation contained in the Word of God, which is an unfolding revelation leading up to the appearing of Jesus Christ. So one of the things the Bible says very clearly is that there is an ongoing conflict between invisible spiritual kingdoms. An ongoing conflict between invisible spiritual kingdoms. Here it is in Ephesians 6 verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. That refers to people. We do not wrestle against people, but against the rulers, <clears throat> against authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So the Bible tells us we are engaged in a warfare. The warfare is engaging and involving the spirit realm. The outworking of it is upon the earth. It's as if the earth is a place where two invisible kingdoms are outworking their agendas. Once you see it from that point of view, you'll always approach things from looking at the root cause of problems rather than just looking at the symptoms and what's happening. So the Bible is very clear in the spirit realm. There are malevolent, invisible spirit beings they're ranked in orders of authority, and they influence people, families, businesses. They influence schools, education. They influence every aspect of our society. 
we are engaged in a spiritual world, warfare. And these demon, demonic beings work through people. In other words, they influence the way people think. They influence mindsets. They cause ideologies to come into being. And uh, so the Bible describes that this current age we live in is what's called a present evil age. Galatians 1 verse 4. It says, Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Notice it describes a period called an age. An age is a season in history where God is working. It comes to an end and then it's replaced by the coming age, the age to come, the Bible calls it the age of the kingdom, the kingdom of God manifest on the earth. So it's called an evil age, this present evil age, because of the existence and activities of demonic beings. Jesus called him the prince of this world or the God of this world in 1 John 5, 19, who directs the course of what's going on in the world, works behind people and governments. So all believers then are called to engage in a spiritual warfare. You are a spirit being. When you got born again, when you received Christ into your life, you were now enrolled in a warfare and you're expected to learn how to stand up, how to hold fast to truth, how to walk in the spirit. And not only that, God has given us authority in Christ over all demonic activity. So whatever sphere of life you're in, you must learn how to stand up, submit it to God and asserting authority in prayer and then also engaging actively uh, the place that God has called us to work and serve. There is no place for passivity, no place for fear. The church cannot be passive. You cannot be passive. You cannot be fearful. There's no place for fear. People who are fearful will then come under control and attempt to control. So there's no place for us to yield to fear. Rather, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. And that spirit has been rampant in the earth and it's infected the church, causing so many people to become very passive. Now, when we look at Jesus' life and ministry, we'll find that his whole focus was entirely upon the kingdom of God. Now, he lived in a time when Israel was oppressed by Romans, the government was corrupt, the church was corrupt, everything was oppressive, yet he never really directly addressed all of that. And there's a reason for that. What he did was focus on the core of man's problem, which is the heart of man, desperately wicked and in need of transformation. So Jesus taught his followers, seek first the kingdom of God. And that's found in, in, uh, in Matthew 6.33. It's one of the verses that have shaped our life and the way we've handled problems and challenges. Put first or first priority the kingdom of God. So that raises the question, well, what is the kingdom of God? And I'm sure if we ask lots of Christians what the kingdom of God is, we'd get a lot of different answers. So first of all, what is the kingdom? What do we mean when we use the word kingdom? So when you look at the term kingdom, a kingdom means the rule of a king. It's not a democracy. It's the rule of a king where his will is carried out. Secondly, a kingdom refers to a territory or land or place where his will is carried out or his rule takes place. Thirdly, it represents a people who are the subjects of that king. They are aligned with the king. They belong to the king. They are under his rule and under alignment with him. And then it also refers to the laws and the culture of that kingdom that constitute the kingdom. So we see four things make up a kingdom. So Jesus said, seek first 
the kingdom of God. Seek first the rule of God, being a part of the people of God under, in his kingdom and under the laws and culture of that kingdom. And of course, the culture of the kingdom of God is completely in conflict with the culture around you. And often we find ourselves by aligning with Jesus Christ, aligning with his word, we find ourselves then in conflict with values that are totally different and are very hostile. That's what the conflict is about. So when Jesus spoke of the kingdom, he referred to it in two different ways. Really helps if you see this, because then we're going to look then at how he describes certain events at the end of the age and how we should respond. So first of all, he spoke of the kingdom in two different ways. He, he spoke of the kingdom and his main priority when he spoke of the kingdom, he spoke of it as an invisible spiritual kingdom present now. An invisible spiritual kingdom present now. Here's, a, here's one verse, Matthew 4, 17. He says, at that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or near. In other words, the kingdom of God, although it's invisible, is very present, is very available now, and the key to enter that kingdom, become a part of that kingdom, is through repentance, a change of heart, and a turning and aligning with Jesus Christ and following him. So his first way of presenting the kingdom was he presented it as an invisible kingdom, something that begins in the heart of man, because God is always concerned with changing us on the inside before trying to change us on the outside. God's focus is our heart and inner transformation that results in external change. And we must think and act the same way. We need to focus on the inward change in our lives and the lives of others. He also spoke about that kingdom, that invisible kingdom. He said, it can come upon people now. So though it's invisible, can't be seen with the eyes, it can come upon people in a way that is visible. So here's an example in Matthew 12, 28. If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom, the invisible kingdom, the rule of God has come upon us, and the evidence of it is demons, which are part of a different kingdom, an opposing kingdom, are cast out there, violently hurled out of their place by a superior kingdom. So Jesus focused on the establishment of the invisible kingdom in the heart of people, which would be evidenced by change on the inside, change in the fruit in our life, and also by the demonstration of power. And so deliverance, healings, miracles, are revelations and demonstrations that this invisible kingdom of God is real, it's superior, and that the kingdom of the devil is an inferior kingdom. And so all believers are called and invited to carry the presence and power of God and minister to the needs of people and expose and uncover that demonic realm. But Jesus also spoke of the kingdom a second way. And this was really a puzzle for the, the, the Jews in that time because they expected him to, to, do, to do this. <laughs> and he spoke of the invisible kingdom and confounded them. But the Jews were looking and expecting for a coming king who would overthrow the kingdoms of the earth and reestablish Israel. That's what they were looking for. That's why they struggled with his message that the kingdom must first come and deal with the inner struggles of sin and demonic spirits. And so he spoke also then of a kingdom yet to come. Here it is, a couple of verses. 
in Matthew 16, 27. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man will come, will come. That, that's a future event yet to happen. Hasn't happened yet. He will come in the glory of his Father and of his angels, and then he will reward each man according to his works. So he's talking about the kingdom coming when the king comes, that Jesus will come again as a king to rule the earth. And when he comes, he will come in glory, he will come in power, and he will come to reward those who have faithfully served him. Here's another example, Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. So notice it's when he comes. That's referring to something that has not yet happened, but is rapidly approaching. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will sit on his glorious throne. So at the end of this present age, we saw there's a present age, an age we're engaged in warfare, an age which is dominated by demonic influence over governance and nations. And then the age is replaced by the coming age. And so the end of this age, the kingdom of God will come physically. It will come in great power and great glory. The book of Revelation says Jesus will come as a king. When Jesus spoke in the parables, he said he will return as a king. He will be king of kings, the ruler of all the kings of the earth. Uh, he will not only return as a king, he will return to judge the earth. Not a very popular uh, teaching, but Jesus also has been sent by the Father and assigned the responsibility of executing judgment in the earth. So we are existing in a current age right now with its turmoils and conflicts. There is a coming age where Jesus will come and establish a kingdom for 1,000 years. And the Bible has many, many things to say about that coming and uh, we can't go into them now. But let me just share one thing. It says, all the kings of the earth will surrender and yield. That means all the governments of the earth will surrender and yield to the kingship and lordship and authority of Jesus Christ. Here's a couple. In Zechariah 14.9, Zechariah 14.9, and the Lord will be king over all of the earth. There's one verse, there's so many of them. And here's another verse in Psalm 102.15. Nations will fear the name of the Lord, and all, all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. So in other words, it's saying, and there's many verses like this, but it's making it very clear in many parts of the Bible that although Jesus came first as the servant, came as the Savior, came as the Lamb of God, he will return to rule. He will return to judge the earth. And this is in the coming age. So Jesus also spoke of the end of the age. In other words, the period which I believe we're living in now and which is uh, easily explained as we look into Jesus' teaching. So <clears throat> when we look in Matthew 24, the disciples asked him some questions. They came to him privately, verse 3, and they said, tell us when will all these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Notice, and he's up, they're asking <clears throat> about the temple and its destruction, and they're asking about his coming and the end of the age. So there's three questions, but actually two always together, because the end of the age is characterized by the coming of Christ. Now, we don't have the time to go right through all of the teaching, but I want to highlight some things which will characterize the transition from this age into the next age. And Jesus warns of a number of things. 
So let me just read them out to you, some of the things. And uh, let me just open up so you can understand how these things are starting to become more evident in the earth now. So when you look at what Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew 24 about the end of the age, you will then be able to look at the events around you and look at what's going on. And instead of being in a reactionary fighting mode, we need to be in a mode of understanding the hour we're in and how God wants us to respond. And uh, so first, uh, there's a number of things, and I could share a lot on it, but I'll just give you these things. Uh, the first thing Jesus warned about was deception. Deception. Matthew 24, verse 4, Jesus answered and said to them, take heed, no one deceives you. Deception. Be careful, lest anyone deceive you. That word deceive means uh, it's, uh, it's the word we get a planet or a wanderer. It means to wander or cause to go astray, to mislead or to seduce. Be careful lest no one seduce you and draw you away. And he said in, the, in the Matthew 24, verse 5, for many will come in my name saying I'm the Christ and will deceive many. So notice he's saying many will be deceived. Many will be deceived. That means they'll believe they're right but be completely wrong. And usually deception is some truth mixed with errors. Now, if you have a look, you see how easily this is happening right now. I could talk at length on it, but I'll just throw a few things out. The first thing he said is many. That means it's on a large scale. And recent developments in history in media has made global communications a reality. So now in a very short space of time, everyone can hear a message of some kind. And of course, misinformation has taken place on a global scale. It's not only present right through each nation, present across the world. And the reason for that is that governments and big tech and, and financial interests have come together to control the narratives, to control the story, how uh, life and its experiences are to be interpreted. For example, in New Zealand, our, our prime minister said that we should consider the government as the sole source of truth which is actually basically saying, don't go out and look for any other information. We're the ones you should rely on. In other words, don't think for yourselves, comply. This is horrendous. So media have, have been literally flooded with government money and a narrative is being promoted through that. And what I've discovered, of course, is that instead of uh, there being open discussion, of course, as you've been aware, they shut down any Christian view, shut down conservative view, and label them. So the media have now become like information bullies. Uh, examples of that can be seen around COVID, where there's a certain narrative has been presented, and any alternative narrative, any alternative uh, things that have been spoken, all of those are shut down and labeled and sidelined. And with that has been a, a, a systematic media campaign to sow fear among people and to shame those who hold an alternative viewpoint or would challenge what has been said. These are, these are incredible things. So that's just with one area, with the COVID, massive deception around that. And uh, another one is the area of global warming. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details about that, but this is the problem that I see is there's just, a, again, a single narrative Anyone who challenges it, questions it, or points out inconsistencies in it, then they are shamed and vilified and uh, intimidated and cancelled. And all of that speaks then of deception, the inability to actually be able to bring things out to the open and discuss freely. So God tells us very clearly that unless we receive a love for the truth, there will be great delusion come upon the earth. 
A second thing that Jesus spoke of, apart from the area of deception and the warning about being deceived, uh, uh, and that's not just in the world area, it's in the church as well. The second area he spoke about was global physical turmoil. And so Matthew 24, 6 uh, and 7, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled. In other words, don't be afraid, don't be upset by the fact that you're hearing war over here and war over there and what's going on in Ukraine or whatever. And so he said, all of these things must come, but the end is not yet. For nation will come against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilences, earthquakes. Notice there are wars, rumors of wars, international conflicts, pandemics, famines, and some of these are being generated intentionally. So the Bible is very on target here. It's describing things we're seeing just emerging in the earth right now. And so we shouldn't be fearful of that. We should actually say, oh God, this is the hour approaching your coming. The church needs to arise and become strong. And, uh, and Jesus called it, he said in Matthew 24, verse 8, these are the beginning of sorrows. The word sorrow means a birth pain or the birthing of the next age. And so the things we see in the world which are causing turmoil are really actually the birth pains of what God is doing. And so the third thing he said was lawlessness would abound. Lawlessness would abound. Verse 12, because lawless will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Uh, that What does that mean? Lawlessness, it means uh, disregard for the law. It means to violate the law. It means to live without law. And I think you, if you had your eyes open, you'd see widespread the contempt for the law. You see it in these uh, things of defund the police. Now, so many different ways that it all manifests. And although there's a certain idea presented behind it, actually is the spirit of lawlessness. And so Western culture, if you think about it, has been shaped upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's been built on the foundation of the gospel. Uh, it's been built on the foundation of the Ten Commandments, which uh, basically God set forth as the foundation for the culture of a nation in uh, Exodus chapter 19. And uh, so the, the Ten Commandments are laws of how we relate to God, how we relate to one another, love God and love people. They form a foundation of treating people right and having right values. So when you have a look at the West and what's been going on, you see the decline of the West has come when there's been the removal of these values, the removal of these foundations uh, of Christian and biblical values, the rejection of the laws of God, rejection of prayer, the removal of the Christian foundations, the foundation that a nation is built on good marriages, on family, on morality, on the dignity of work. All of these things have been under attack. These are foundations of a society. When the foundations are destroyed, the society begins to, to, to collapse. And of course, behind this, if you look historically in the Bible, you'll find there was the spirit of Jezebel or the queen of heaven, an invisible goddess of seduction and war. And that characterized or the influence of that spirit in the nation of Israel called fatherlessness. It caused moral decline. It caused perversion, homosexuality, transgenderism, all kinds of things, broken families, trauma and abuse. And these things we're seeing emerging today. But behind it, again, a spiritual power. When Jezebel ruled over the nation of Israel, there was fear, there was control. Uh, the church was shut down. The supernatural was shut down. The prophetic was shut down. Uh, we see Elijah being depressed and contemplating suicide. Uh, we see the sacrifice of children speaking of abortion and the deliberate destruction of the next generation. Uh, we see the mutilation of children. All of these things are not just recent occurrences. All of these 
uh, the same kinds of things that originated in Israel when Israel became uh, apostatized, left God, began to serve the gods of Jezebel, and then all of this corruption was unleashed and the nation became defiled. So lawlessness that's not confronted will just grow. And so we're required not to just be self-centered and without love. We're not, we're not, we're not called to, to, to yield to that. We're called to be full of the love of God, full of the life of God. See, you can't overcome, overcome lawlessness by being lawless. Uh, he says in another place in verse 9, he says that you'll be hated by all for my sake. <clears throat> Notice there, for Jesus' sake. So it's not just hated because you're behaving badly. In verse 9, they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So he describes at the end of the age a hatred of those who follow Christ, those who represent Christ, those who try to live a godly lifestyle. And we see that in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders, and the Herodians, the political leaders, in Mark 3, 6, came together, and they planned, <clears throat> how can they destroy Jesus? And I believe we'll see this in these latter days, uh, the, the emergence of the political and religious to shut down people that they label as being extreme, right-wing, all kinds of things. So you notice now, if you were to stand up and promote uh, Christian values, nation-building values, uh, marriage, family, identity, those kind of things, you'll find there's a hostility, a massive hostility or hatred. And then the way that hostility shows is by labeling uh, enemies of democracy, conspiracists, all this kind of stuff. It's all a, a common strategy of labeling, minimizing, and then attacking using media and various other forms to cancel people. And all of that kind of behavior is actually a spiritual attack. You gotta, the church has got to become strong. The church has got to arise and hold fast to the truth and not be intimidated. This is not a day to be intimidated by that. I think for a long time, the church has been very quiet. It's time now to hold very clearly to the Christian values. Then he talks about offense. Many will be offended and betray one another in verse 10. To, to be offended means to, uh, to stumble or fall away to cause to distrust someone you should be trusting. And so he said, it's going to be a major phenomena. And so when people are offended, they just begin to think about themselves. And there are lots of ways people, believers particularly, become defended, offended. Uh, I think one of them is the widespread lawlessness causes people to be offended. We become offended because of the injustice and the corruption and immorality in society and in the church. We, we get People get offended by that. They walk away from God. Personal injustice and trauma, people become offended, walk away from God. Uh, embracing false doctrine. I, I think that uh, people become offended by the call to, to be a disciple, not just to turn up at church and attend church. When you start to talk about the demands of the Bible, the requirements of the Bible and following Jesus, it becomes offensive to some because it challenges their selfish life. Uh, the end times when people are challenged about their view of how this, how the, how the Bible teaches the end times, then they become offended. And I think the hyper grace, when the moment you start to speak up about the need for repentance and a godly lifestyle, people also become offended. So Jesus made it very clear: if you're if you're ashamed of me and ashamed of my words in this generation, adulterous, sinful generation, then the Son of Man will be ashamed of you at His coming. So how should we respond in the light of all these things? Uh, Jesus gave very, very clear directives, very clear directives of what we ought to do. Number one, number one, build a strong, active prayer life. 
In Matthew 24, 42, watch, for you don't know what hour your Lord is coming. So watching is a state of being spiritually awake and aware of influences, both of the Holy Spirit and of demonic influences at work. To be awake, it's always connected to strong prayer and sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Think about this. Adam's first role was of a watchman over a garden, and he failed. A watchman must not only be spiritually awake, a watchman must raise the alarm when he sees an enemy coming. So believers are called to be watchmen. You are a watchman over whatever God has entrusted to you. You're called to be spiritually alert, spiritually sensitive, and to speak up and speak out and not hold your peace. Uh, Christians are called to be salt. That means you hinder the corruption and light. means you expose things that are not right. The second thing Jesus said was to live lives or live ready and prepared for his return. In Matthew 24, 44, be ready for the Son of Man comes in an hour you're not aware. What does it mean to be ready? To be ready is a situational condition of your heart and inner life. Reject defilement. There's got to be a rejection of moral defilement, uncleanness, sexual defilement, defilement by bitterness, defilement by offenses, those kind of things, and live in faith and expectation for Jesus' return. It means that we focus on the issues around and we turn them into prayer and intercession. It means we don't hide from what's around. We actually pray and engage with it. It means living dependent on the Lord. Are you ready? And the third thing, be active in presenting the gospel. In Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. Then the end will come. So we need to be proactive, proactive as believers. We're to bring the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation. It's a message of hope. It's a message of life. It's a message of another kingdom. And we need to boldly share it and pray and minister to needs as we do that. Jesus followed that up, and I've got no time to show you how this is, but he followed it up with three stories, and these three stories all highlight one of those three commands. The command to build a strong active prayer life is seen in the parable of the virgins. Some were wise, some were foolish, and the wise ones built a strong life of prayer, strong intimacy, were filled with the Holy Ghost. The foolish ones failed to do that. Uh, it says to live ready and prepared for the uh, coming of the Lord. And we see that in the, in the parable in Matthew 24 of the two servants, one who is serving and ministering to the house of God. And the other one, it says, his heart in his heart, he said, the Lord delays his coming and he begins to eat and drink with the drunk and he begins to beat the men servants. So he's talking about our condition in the church of loving the people of God, serving the people of God and not taking advantage of them and living an immoral life. And finally, being active and presenting the gospel is highlighted in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, where there's wise men and foolish person, and uh, the wise ones invested in the kingdom and were productive. The foolish one buried and hid what he had because of fear. Now, here's the thing about those. The, the teaching of Jesus focuses mainly on the one who failed. And the lesson is very clear. Don't be like that person. Don't be like the servant who was abusive to the people of God and who lived an immoral life. Don't be like the foolish virgins who failed to pray, prepare, and build a life in the spirit. And don't be like the foolish servant who buried what he had and never was productive for the kingdom of God. Church, awake, arise, engage, 
This is your hour. Perhaps you're here and this is your first time in church today. Uh, I want to extend an invitation to you to respond and receive Jesus Christ. Jesus said to as many as received him, he gave the authority to become a child of God. Are you at that place today? Why don't you make the decision, today's my day to leave and depart the kingdom of darkness, the power of darkness, of sin and evil and corruption, and to come into the kingdom of God by embracing and following Jesus Christ. Perhaps you hear you're a believer and you realize your life has become cold, your life has become lukewarm, your life is filled with compromise or defilement, and you know there are things that you need to put right. Why don't you make the decision today to repent and come near to the Lord and draw into his presence and restore that prayer life, restore the inner life inside, begin to engage and walk with God and speak up and share what God is saying and doing. God bless you. I look forward to being with you in person. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen. For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.